the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Greetings, friends and fellow companions, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle. I'm Trampus Whiteman, and if I took the test of high sorcery, I would take on the white robes. Hi, my name is Wilden Chen, um, and if I were to take the test of high sorcery, I would be a part of the White Robes. And this is John Ryan. If uh, I were to take the test of high sorcery, um, the mages would see into secrets of my heart. They would give John the bed robes. Maybe black. <laughs> He'd just take all the robes, you know. Have a collection. I mean, you just got to have a good wardrobe. Magius understood this, right? Correct. <laughs> As did Fist and Nanalyn. Good he old Fisty. Or he, he wore all colors at some point. Oh, did he? Uh, yeah, I remember seeing that somewhere. Maybe... Uh, well, remember- he definitely took on the red robes. He um, told Raceland so back in Legends. You know, he started out red, and then he reached the point where he wanted to learn more, but he was going to be mortal, so he made the deal to go to the Black Rose, so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and folks, that's our cast of characters tonight. Um, Our other uh, cohorts in crime uh, couldn't make it tonight, and that's all right. Uh, We will take whoever we can get. Um, No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> how you guys been doing well i've been doing um not too much stuff uh, related to dragonlance except maybe um the cause chessboard um software that i've been building um i've been reprogramming it and i had a major breakthrough because Part of the rules have this thing where the king and queen in this hexagon chess game, they have a front and back, and you can't attack them from the front and back. So there was a long procedure of, like, you know, when you want to see the rules, you have to put armor in front of these, you know, uh, in front of these pieces. And I finally took about me a year. (laughs) My apologies on that. It took me about a year to, like, get that all done, you know, in my spare time. But... There you go. Um, a bit closer on that chess game. Awesome. I, I'm looking forward to when you get that done. Um, uh, I remember seeing your actual physical board that you made several years ago at Dragonlance and or at uh, Gen Con, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I, I've always wanted to play it. So we'll, hopefully one of these days uh, we'll get a chance and we can uh, play it and um, – Maybe if it's good enough, we might release it to everybody. So that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, John, what have you been up to? Uh, I've just been doing my um, my weekly Tyranny of Dragons and Dragonlance. Uh, characters are now level 5. Uh, they're almost to Solanthus. Um, in chapter, I believe it's chapter 5 of Port uh, of the Dragon Queen. So right now they're just on a long road voyage, um, part of a caravan, where there's, of course, a couple different encounters that happen each day. So, uh, but we will, on April 1st, we'll be able to get back together for in-person gaming. 
um, for the first time since uh, I think October or September. So um, it'll be good to do that. And then after that, uh, within the next week or two, be able to get together for our Price of Courage game. So in person, which we have only played once in the past year. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I have to say, you know, I, I've mentioned several times on on this podcast that um, uh, I'm a member of the Role Players Guild of Kansas City, and, um, you know, they have like a monthly game day, and we haven't been in person um, for like a year now. Um, and uh, so I'm looking forward to the day that I can meet up with them in person again. Um, you know, we're, I mean, everybody's had different levels different stages on the um, vaccination department. Um, you know, I've got my first one waiting on my second. Uh, um, some other people in my family have all theirs and others are waiting. But um, my hope is that by this fall, we can start getting together in at least small groups again and um, have that in-person relationship and be able to roll some actual physical dice um, I, you know, I love the online stuff, but I got to say, I got to roll me some actual dice. <laughs> right. I, I agree. Um, I'm one shot into my vaccination and, uh, I think all of my weekly group has at least been, uh, through their first shot. If, if some of them are on their second, so, uh, it'll be good to be able to get together and, uh, Throw some actual dice, like you said. And also, today is uh, supposed to be uh, Gary Khan Eve. Um, so Norm, I'm supposed to be in Wisconsin right now. But <laughs> thanks, thanks, coronavirus. Uh, here I am at home. And, uh, I think we ought to move on to our main topic tonight. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, Basically, uh, we are going to talk about one of the quintessential Dragonlance novels. Uh, nothing short of the Soulforge. Um, and I have a few notes here. Uh, Chuck was um, supposed to be here, but couldn't make it at the last minute. So um, just want to kind of talk a little bit about it. Uh, first, a little background history. And and um, I know I'm probably misremembering this a little bit, but um, this was written at the time when TSR was heading towards bankruptcy. And um, so during this time, um, they had to talk with Margaret Weiss about writing the Soul Forge. Now, the Soul Forge originally was one of those kind of choose your own adventure things, if I remember right, um, that involved wrestling in the test. And am I right that it was written by Terry Phillips? Yeah, it was. All right. So um, basically they wanted to write a new novel detailing his test. And uh, they asked Margaret to do it. And yeah, at first she was a little hesitant, but they basically told her either you do it or we'll get someone else to do it. And, um, you know, 
Raceland is Margaret's baby. Um, so obviously she had to write it. And if memory serves me correctly, uh, she gets the manuscript done is, you know, just a, just a little bit away from turning it in. And, um, you know, someone was advising her, don't do it yet because they're going through bankruptcy. And uh, if that happens, then you might lose the novel, you know. And um, and so she she's told this tale about how she's had the manuscript in the back of her car uh, for quite a while until everything cleared up, you know. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Well, I got to admit, it was an interesting time. I mean, the, the, there was the bankruptcy that was um, slowly occurring, uh, but it, there was, I, I remember from the fandom in that time, uh, a lot of people were kind of split between those who had read too much about the companions and they're going like, oh, we've seen preludes, we've seen, you know, the schlock that's good, the, the companions, you know, all that stuff, you know, way I don't want to hear about, you know, the, the infellows anymore. And then there was another group that's going like, we've got a lot of wild stories all over the place and I don't see any of these, you know, historical books or anything along those times is something you know i want anymore because i'm getting tired of it so as i recall when um soul forge was announced and it was slowly coming out it kind of brought a lot of people together because you know those people who still love raceland as the main character and those who wanted more stuff about the companions they were kind of like going you know, oh, this is this is interesting. It was, I want to say, for a brief moment in time, it was bringing back, you know, Dragonlance fans back together as a as a single force compared to, you know, how split it, uh, the fandom was at that time. Yeah. Now, okay, so this was like the early days of online fandom, right? Yeah. So was. Was this like discuss on the uh, Dragonlance L mailing list, or was this uh, prior to that? Well, back in that time, this was a combination of those people that are part of the news groups, the alt.fan.dragonlance news group. Um, there was also a bunch of people that were on the mailing list that were also kind of like discussing the same thing, having the same vibe. Um, I think you might know a little bit more, or maybe it was Jamie Chambers who was... Um, on the um, TSR, um, uh, I don't want to say news groups, but the TSR um, groupings that they had back on the TSR website at that time. Uh, yeah, there was kind of like a split among those who saw that there was lots of Dragonlance books, but they really weren't sure what they wanted. And I got the impression that um, when the Raceland book was going to be discussed, it generated a lot of traffic because people wanted to, yeah, it was at that right time where people wanted to come back together and go, what's this? This is an interesting story. Um, 
at the same time, I think there were people exactly as you were describing who said, why do I need this book? I mean, I've got the AD&D game book, which is now ultra rare to get. And there was um, another book, Darkheart, um, that was all about Kitiara when she was a little girl. And that, you know, had much of the same story about how the companions met. You know, so at the time, I got to admit, it was like uh, a bit scattered in terms of the fandom, but they eventually all, you know, when it was going to be a book written about Raceland, written by Margaret Weiss, it's like, you know, it's going to probably be like one of the Holy Six. We got to like, you know, yeah, there was a lot of generated buzz about what this was going to be like. Yeah, you know, I uh, I never quite considered it part of the Holy Six, but I did consider it essential reading. Um and uh, I I like the book. Uh, I will say I like the sequel better, but um, uh, it, it certainly was a good story. I, I was a bit surprised at the time, and I, I don't know um, what the story is behind this, but just that it was just Margaret and that um, Tracy wasn't writing it as well. Um, but I, I don't know if that was a matter of schedule or... Um, or what so um if anybody knows uh let me know i'd I'd be curious yeah i've always wondered that um so you know i'm i'm looking at the uh notes that chuck was so nice to write up for us and um you know he talks about he he was mentioning the same thing about where fandom was at the point uh, and how uh, Soul Forge was one of the few books that kind of gathered that uh, widespread interest. Um, so the book itself, it's a retelling of sorts of the childhood of Raceland. Um, you know, to just after him taking the test. So it's kind of his coming of age story. Um, you know, some critics of the book will fault the tale as simply something that was already covered in passing, as as you mentioned, Wilson. Um But, uh, you know, a, a lot of fans of the setting launched themselves into the deeper secrets of what makes Raceland tick. And uh, I, I think what really... What's interesting for me is he basically said, look, here's a bunch of rumors about what's been going on with me. Here is my definitive tale. I thought that was neat. Yeah, I was definitely one of the latter. Um, when this book came out, I still have my first thing from 1998 hardcover um, signed by Tracy, signed by Larry Elmore. Um, and I loved it. I love this book from front to back. Uh, as soon as it came out, I've reread it multiple times. Um, funny, uh, well, <laughs> slightly funny story. Um, back then, you know, there, I, I didn't really have a lot of, uh, internet usage. Uh, my first Gen Con I went to was in 2000 and in Milwaukee and I'm walking the floor and I see a table with, all this artwork on and I didn't know what Larry Elmore looked like so <laughs> unbeknownst to me is Larry Elmore standing behind this the table and I'm looking through the artwork and I'm 
oohing and on over the you know different covers of the dra classic Dragonlance books, and then I'm and then the cover for Soulforge, you know, is in the pile, and I just kind of like skipped over it because I wasn't a huge fan uh, when it came out. I wasn't of the cover. He's like, what do you think about that cover? And like I said, me not knowing that it's that you know Larry Elmore talking to me. I was like, eh, I don't really like it. And I just kept flipping. And he goes, oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you don't like it. That's I, I did that right after I, you know, that was one of my first things after I had my stroke. And I'm like, in the back of my mind, like, oh, God, dude, th this is, this is Elmore. Uh, uh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I kind of uh, possibly offended him. I'm sure he, you know, he's an artist. I'm sure he has plenty of people telling him, um, you know, not everything he does is perfect, of course. So he's probably got critics of, of all of his paintings. Uh, but I have since made it up to him um, in recent years at the past uh, couple Gary cons that actually happened. Um, I took a St. Louis uh, local brewery, uh, coffee beer, and we were, I was at a party at uh, Dolly Blackburn's apartment, of all things, and Larry Elmore showed up. So I, I offered him one of these, these coffee-style beers from a company called Schlafly here in St. Louis, and he loved it. Loved it. So the oh, awesome. The, the following year, I, I bought a, a uh, I bought a pack of beer to take to Gary Con just for Larry. So when I, when I saw him in the art room, I was like, "Hey, remember you liked these last year? So here, have a, have a whole pack." Uh, so very grateful, very grateful, young man. There. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> that's awesome. You know, he uh, he had an alternate version of that cover, and he's only released it like within the last what, a couple of years or so? And uh, I looked at that. I'm like, why have I never seen this before? And he thought it was out there, and it wasn't. And fandom was just ooing and aahing all over it, you know? Hmm. I don't know if I've seen it. Yeah, I will say the um, the only criticism I have about the cover really is, um, you know, Raceland always looked kind of frail, to me, and I didn't think it quite portrayed him as frail enough. Yeah. So, all right, so let's uh, move on into the book itself. Um, uh, the book itself is actually divided into uh, six books here. Um, so the first book, we're talking about Raceland's earliest childhood memories. Uh, you know, there's... Um, uh, there's Antimides, you know, he's recognizing, um, uh, Raceland's ability. Um, you know, he's, uh, looking at the family dy dynamic of, uh, the Majirs and Uthmatar family. Um, you know, we, we learn of, um, uh, is a Gilan Majir, um, yeah, he's he's a family man who works hard to get by. Uh, uh, Rosamund, Rosamund, I think. Um, you know who's Racing's mom, uh, and she's troubled uh, at times. Um, 
Oh, you know, she. It, it seemed like she. Um, she. What was her thing anyway? I'm sorry, I'm not saying it very well. Or she would have spells where she would um, kind of disassociate. Um, she'd be, you know, I guess the best description is she. Her mind would wander. Um, I wouldn't want to call it dementia because obviously it's related to, you know, her having. You know, an innate magical skill that was never fostered, and therefore she was having issues controlling, you know, the her wandering mind. You know, I, I would imagine it would be like planescaping, just going into like different planes of existence and seeing what's there. You know. Yeah, out of body experience type thing. She like yeah. her. She would travel um, mentally and see things while her body stayed put. That's what I, I took from it, at least. Right, but psionics doesn't exist in Dragonland. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm that guy, folks. <laughs> now, I will have to say my, my criticism of that thing, and it's just nitpicking altogether, because um, before that, I had... At, you know, voraciously, you know, catalog a lot of like Raceland stuff. And I gotta admit, I felt a little bit. Uh, it's like you think you've got something about Raceland's past, but it's not written in this book. And like, for example, um, in Legends, um, Chrysania and, and Raceland are in the Abyss, and there is actually a scene of little children coming out and beating Raceland. You know, that to me was like, that was Raceland's life. At a very young age, at this age, other kids would literally physically beat him because he was weak. And then other, you know, his brother would come in and try to save him and stuff like that. And the mixed emotion of gratefulness, at the same time jealousy, because he doesn't have the same power as his brother does, that was kind of missing from here. Here, I, I kind of felt like Raceland had a good home life. Yeah, his mom, you know, went on, you know, her, her you know, mental wanderings in the universe. And he had a big sister who was, like, tough, but helped him, you know, helped him grow up. So, I, yeah, I I hate to say it. I I feel like there should have been more. There should have been more pain and suffering for Raceland in this episode. He should have he should have been suffering. He, you know, I wanted to see scenes where he was physically beaten up. You know, the whole origin of the sly one, and you know, mm -hmm. just yeah. I but you know, it's it's not my vision. It, it was Margaret's vision, and. At the same time, I don't think Raceland would ever talk about all that stuff. I mean, that, this is not a therapy session where he'd go into, like, how miserably he was treated. But as I was going through this part of the book, I was waiting for those type of event, events. Like, you know. So as yeah. this book is written, um, like, from his point of view and his recollections, he might be omitting some things that were more painful yeah and I, I admit there were a lot of discussions at the time where a lot of people had that impression because they remember what was in legends and i think one of the criticisms here like i said was that it wasn't rough enough 
so you know um I, and it's been quite a while since I've read this, so you'll have to pardon my recollection and uh, steer me wrong. Yeah, you know, I, I think at some point, um, you know, Kitty R was at least recognizing that um, Rachel had more talent than he was letting on. And who was it? Her or was it Intimities who? first recognized his talent for magic no it was kitty um you know antimities um was in the inn he was having um you know a nice drink after you know a long travel and kitty approached him and said i need to know you know i have a brother who knows magic and he needs help you know and, and she basically you know pushed her way through and bothered him enough to say, okay, wow, this girl's pretty intense. All right, let's have a quick interview, you know, and, and bring Raceland over and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll check him out, stuff like that. And that's when he recognized that Raceland was actually very, very, um, very, very intense and very smart, you know. Yeah, way intelligent for his age than anybody yeah. seen at that point. Yeah. And is it just me, or am I the only one who looks at Antimides' name and wants to occasionally pronounce it as anti-modes? <laughs> All the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here like, okay, this is a stupid geek thought I'm having, but... Uh... <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah, I would never have known how to pronounce it if it wasn't for the fact that I actually have, you know, met, you know, Margaret and Tracy, and Margaret basically mentions his name. Like, that's how you pronounce it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I found out from uh, talking with her that I was mispronouncing the goddess of healing um, all these years. I always thought it was Michical, um, but she pronounces it as Michakal. Then in Holy Orders of the Stars, I think uh, we put it in that both pronunciations are correct. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't, you know, she's uh, stated that her, uh, the Gully Dwarf's name is Bupu, but I cannot not call her Bupu. Sorry. Same. Uh, likewise, um, Huma, Tracy pronounces that as Huma. Um, and I'm like, I like Huma better because it's like human, but without the N, you know? Yeah, that's how I pronounce that one as well. Anyway, we're going <laughs> off of tangent here. So, uh, anyway, I think the big takeaway off of that book one uh, was basically for the book, the introduction of um, Antimities and know and how. The wizards of high sorcery start learning about Raceland. I think that's really the big takeaway off of here because it really was like it seemed like how do they know all this stuff? Do they magically have wards everywhere and they're you know a, a sensor net that detects like when a wizard starts casting you know fireballs or something? But it, it all sounds like he was just traveling through the end of high so uh, the end of the last home. And Kiviara basically, you know, uh, pushed her way in and, and interrupted his dinner and basically said, I <laughs> have a brother. 
and he wants to be a wizard. Yeah. Which is a very kit thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really amazing for someone who, um, you know, has a certain selfishness to her and was so much in it for power, how she still uh, looked after her brothers. Right. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on to book two now. Um, and in this one, uh, we encounter the Majir twins as they're heading into their teenage years. Um, you know, during this time, we're experiencing two different approaches of how they solve problems and um, different issues. Um, so what are your thoughts on the different approaches each twin takes to uh, solve the issues presented? Well, I don't uh, personally, it's, it's been a minute since I've read this one as well. Um, I don't remember the specific issues that were presented. Um, but I imagine this is probably where his jealousy for Karaman probably started to take hold as they go into their teenage years. Um, because Karaman is growing and developing, you know, physically into a, a more muscular, um, you know, young man, uh, whereas Raceland is, is not. He's still small, skinny, you know, thin arms, no, you know, not as, not nearly as much uh, musculature. Um, so this is probably where his, his jealousy for his brother and his, uh, you know, for where Karaman is more charismatic and people tend to flock around him. Um, I'm, I'm probably, that's probably where this is uh, where he's trying to get his, you know, start to get his, his jealousy toward his brother. Now, they were identical twins, right? Correct. All right, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's really interesting how they're identical twins, yet they can look so different, you know. And, uh, of course, Raceland had his uh, malady, and Caramon uh, was the epitome of health. And, you know, I, I kind of remember them being two halves of a whole. That's the way they were always presented, you know, where... Um, Cameron had the brawn and Raceland had the brains. And, yeah, um, was probably you know still a, a handsome youth um, because they they were identical twins. So he was he probably had handsome features. You know, his face was he was probably a, a good looking guy. Uh, he just wasn't as you know stoutly built as his brother. He was, I'm sure his face was probably more uh, drawn. And kind of high cheekboned because he doesn't have the, you know, the the wider musculature of of the head and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I I okay. So to pack uh, book two, they one of the one of the things that they talked about was um, recent school years and you know some of the bullying that was occurring. The you know him being called the sly one. Um. I think if we want to talk about the different approach he has, I mean, it, throughout that story, he basically does 
a lot of uh, manipulation that basically makes everyone else afraid of him. You know, that was the step of how he earned the respect of his fellow um, school um, schoolmates. Um, and Carmen, on the other side, was just friendly. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that, I think I get the impression that they're starting out with the idea that like, Raceland's differences really are his own fault at this point, because he's now, you know, using his mind, using manipulation to basically get people to respect him. And it's a respect out of fear. Well, Carmen is the exact opposite. He's been making friends. He's been talking with people. You know, um, yeah, he even mentions at some point, hey, Race, there's a girl that likes you. You know, and, and Raceland immediately goes like, nah, she doesn't like me. I mean, she's, she calls me, you know, your baby brother. She's not really interested in me. She's more interested in you. You know, I, I feel those differences are starting to emerge in these teenage years. And I don't think he realizes he's somewhat bringing it on, on himself, which I thought was an interesting point in this part of the book. Um, also, later on, it's important that uh, Rosamund starts having an uh, kind of like a caretaker. And we'll see later on how important this caretaker is in uh, the life of this book. So uh, those who are starting to read um, this book, pay attention to that. It's very interesting. Yeah. Also, this discussion has potential spoilers. I know we're like way late on saying that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Cool, cool. Yeah, I, um, I, I just thought it was interesting how Raceland seems like the Dragonlance equivalent of a nerd, and Kerman is the Dragonlance equivalent of a jock. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm yeah, one. Go ahead. I was just agreeing one hundred percent with that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a movie. Um, made about them in the eighties, you know, revenge of the Racelands or something. I, I don't know. But uh <laughs> oh, good movie would never fly today. Anyway, um so moving on, uh so we get into book three here and uh so now we're getting into their mid teens. Uh and they're for the first time really they're being faced with death um you know uh their their father passed away uh their mother passed away um it's also a time uh when uh, the companions were first coming together um you know so what what are you thinking about this time here Um, I, I think I thought that it was very, um, you know, it, it was kind of obvious the way it went. Um, Karaman was more upset about his father passing uh, because Karaman kind of took more of the, the aspects of his father, who was a, a hardworking, strong, durable guy. Uh, whereas the mother, when, when she passed, that is when Raceland kind of, um, you know, he he felt his first major loss because, yeah, while he he cared for his father because he was his father, 
Uh, he was not nearly as attached to his father as he was his mother. So when he lost his mother, um, you know, that really affected Raceland and, and not so much Karaman. Um, and what, what I really liked in the, in the book was what this leads to is, you know, whenever uh, the mother died and the the house nurse or whatever you want to, I don't remember what the title they used, uh, the, the widow that was, I think it was Widow Judith? Yeah, Judith. That that was you know caring for for the mother. Um, whenever whenever the mother died, and you know her and Raceland, uh, Raceland and Judith kind of had a falling out, and um, that leads to very interesting things uh, later in the book. Yeah, uh, again, it's my same impressions with book one. Um, here we see uh, his mom's death, but we, yeah, it kind of, I felt glossed over that trauma that should have, you know, if this were to become a movie, would probably almost be like the central point of the whole, of the whole movie. You know, in Legends, I, I think we go into this whole thing uh, about where he lost his mom. And um, in there, there is like that pitiful cry that he has for like just wishing his mom would come back, you know, that kind of stuff. That wasn't in this part of the book. And so I'm going like, oh, yeah, I, I had to get the true meaning of Raceland. I had to splice that together so that, you know, even though it's not written here, there's that same night in, in you know, Legends where he just asks her to come home. And that in Legends is like so incredibly powerful because when Takasis does it to him, you know, Takesis does it to him. It's like, whoa, that's a major mental, you know, that's a major mental mind blow for, for a god to do that to, uh, to poor Raceland. And in here, it, it's kind of glossed over. I kind of felt like, yeah, you have to splice it together. It's like he, at some point where it says, you know, Rosalind passed away. It's like there was a night where he was begging his mom to come back, you know? So, yeah, I came off with this one as being like, yeah, there's, there's more important issues here. In, in this case, um, Kitiara uh, disliking Judith as well as Raceland disliking Judith. Uh, that will play further in the book. But there was also a temptation that um, Kitiara wanted Raceland to go with her out into the open world. And, and Raceland wasn't ready yet. And so he, he stayed, and, you know, partly to also look after Karaman, you know, because Karaman, it was traumatized by the death of, you know, his, his dad, you know, that kind of stuff. So let's move on to, um, uh, book four. Um, the, it's the longest book in the whole, in the whole novel. Um, and, this is where we're experiencing the companions, uh, their first real adventure. Um, they're traveling to Haven and in the process, they expose a false God. Yes. You know, this time when people are seeking, uh, see what I did there where they're seeking, um, 
you know, these uh, new gods or gods in general to worship. And, um, you know, so you, you kind of have this group of false gods. Um, why do you think that Raceland, uh helped to um, expose uh, this charade and, um, or charade, however you want to say it, <sighs> words? Why, why do you think that Raceland, um helped the people of Haven? You know, was it... Uh, uh, was it a chance to prove himself? Was it compassion? Was it revenge? What um, what was his motivation here? Uh, I would say that it was kind of a mix of all three. Um, he definitely, definitely wanted to bring down uh, the widow Judith. I think that was his number one motivation. Um, he had such a distrust and such a dislike for her. Uh, he wanted to see her go down. He wanted to see her fail and be embarrassed. Um, but he was also, you know, a, a compassionate person to those that were weak. And he probably saw that the people that were duped and tricked, um, you know, they probably, they were just looking to, um, latch onto anything, kind of, kind of like uh, in the War of Souls when, yeah, people knew who the one god was. Like um, Odelia knew the one god was evil, but it was a god, and she wanted to have faith in something. I feel like this is kind of the same thing. It probably happened quite often in that time frame. Um, before the War of the Lance, there were no gods, so people were just latching onto the best story that made sense. So, you know, this is the only thing they had to go on. So, um, but he also, Raceland being Raceland, um, he wanted to prove himself. He wanted to show others his power. He wanted to kind of show off uh, his abilities. And the best way to do that is to have a chance to use them. So, I think it was a, a very good mixture of all three. Um, but I would say revenge was probably his number one priority um, just because of his his hatred of Widow Judith. Yeah, yeah, uh, I concur. Uh, I think the only thing I would add would be that little part of him that still has a sense of justice. You know, obviously all the people at Haven are the equivalent of his mom. You know, she was basically duped, and you know, now that we can say it, you know, spoilers. Judith basically made you know Rosamond you know out to be a villain because she was having her spells, and you know, Judith basically turned on everyone and basically said, "This is why you are a sinner. You are not following the proper gods, and this is what's happening to you." You know. Fortunately, Solus and the people there, you know, all basically came to protect the brothers and said, you are, you know, not welcome here. Get out. Uh, and so she went to Haven. And now there's like a, a new cult. And we find out she's behind a lot of it. And, you know, I, I felt that Raceland's motivation was part revenge. But there was a part of it that was also feeling that the people of Haven were just as duped as his mom and he wanted to like 
show the people the truth. And it didn't turn out that well because they wanted to burn them at the stake. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Raysom really hated that deception there. And, um, you know, I, I find characters interesting who want to um, expose the truth and have that out there, even if sometimes that might be to their detriment. Yeah. 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 Okay, so now we're going to move on to uh, book five. Uh, so there's a terrible bout of plague. You know, it resulted in the death, death of Sturm's mother. And the companions, they've decided to go search the world for signs, you know, of the true gods. Um, it it's a bittersweet chapter. Um, and once again, we time jump forward to see the world for only a brief moment. Um, during this short section, we again see Raceland working tirelessly and with compassion to um, comfort people. Um, all right, Chuck phrases this as, is this a plant of the future Raceland as we do not get to see this version of Raceland outside of a few moments for a long time. I don't know. What do you all think about this section? I, I think it does kind of um, uh, it, it, it points to the future um, when Raceland is able to you know, even when he's at his most vile um he does have that that touch of care for people who are sick. Um, I, I think it's a pretty good foreshadowing. Um, you know, we obviously we've read what comes later already, um, but I think it was it was placed well here in this book uh, to kind of show that this is where there's a glimpse of compassion that we see in the. The chronicles and the legend um, that it does have a root, and and the root is when he was, you know, uh, an older teenager. Um, we're able to see that he was able to care for people, and he did it without payment, without reward. Um, he did it because it was what he wanted to do, uh, without thought of any kind of compensation. So you know, this is. I thought a very, very good chapter uh, or section of the book um, that kind of played on his, his feelings and the, the fact that he did care about those that were weak and sick uh, because he saved probably many more lives uh, than, he, than he was given credit for because of his skills with herbalism and, and plants and healing. Yeah, uh, I, I totally concur. I think in this part of the book, um, it kind of sets up his willingness to help other people. That um, I do wonder if you know, uh, you know, wizard spies would be watching this and you know, building notes on what they need to do to um, to prepare him for his test. Because I, I think the exploits that happened in um, Haven got a lot more of the wizards' attentions because you know. 
but they weren't really high class magic, but it was definitely, you know, interesting and trickery and, and it definitely inflated his basic powers, um, in, in you know, uh, at this point in time. So I kind of felt like it was opening the point of where the companions had to basically go out into the world and, you know, Raceland gets, you know, noticed that you know, uh, people want them to take the test, you know, and and that kind of opens the door for him to say, okay, I now know what I want to do, you know, using my my magical skills to go out and, and make something of myself in the world. Um, I, I think that's kind of like if anyone possibly had thought about going to college and and in a time when there's like a lot of you know, bad economic stuff happening in the world and we're slowly recovering from it. I, I felt that was spot on the same type of vision that that Raceland had that a lot of uh, young people would be having. They're, they're becoming, they're coming in on their own. They have to think about their futures. Uh, they've had some slight adventures of their own. And, you know, this this feels like, oh, this is like a college test. I'm ready to to go to college. You know, that kind of feeling. Cool, cool. So uh, that leads us into uh, book six, which is the actual test of high sorcery. Um, this is really, I think, the thing that everybody is looking forward to the most in this book. It's, uh, you know, we've read some about it. There's been some conflicting tales. And this is Raceland setting um, uh, the record straight. And. Um, what so? What do you all think about uh, how the test was given? Uh, did it live up to your expectations, or was it lacking somehow? For me, as, as a you know a, a young one year old that had just gotten out of the army um, when this book came out, um, yeah, I, I, I read a lot when I was in the army. I had a lot of, of reading time. I read a lot of Dragonlance books. And nothing had ever covered a test of high sorcery before. And we knew that this was going to. This book, when it was announced, you know, uh, we knew we could figure that it was going to be uh, Raceland's test. So I anticipated this book. I had it so hyped in my mind. And for me, um, as a player of the game that had had players, uh, head characters take the test, and as a DM that had tried to run tests uh, because there wasn't really any kind of rules or um, you know a how-to uh, for a whole lot back then. You said your second edition books and your Dragonlance Adventures first edition, um, which had some guidelines, but it wasn't you know, it wasn't very fleshed out, so the fact that we got to read this test um, from the moment it started, I was all in. And when it finished, I was very, very satisfied with how it went. Um, and like I said, I've reread the book a couple times since the late 90s, um, you know, 23 years ago. Um, I've probably read it well, probably two more times. So. So it's been a long time since I have read it now, but um, every time I read it, I still have that sense of satisfaction. 
I, I feel like the test was handled very well. It answered a lot of questions that, you know, had been hinted at in other books, um, left to interpretation in some other parts uh, where we had to kind of guess and think about what might have happened. Um, and this pretty much spelled it out. So I was 100% satisfied in 1998, and I am 100% satisfied in 2021. Hmm. I, I had a slightly different take um, because this is the first time a test was actually explored as uh, in the novel series. But in the gaming realm, um, we had obviously Terry, uh, Terry Phillips' um, Soulforge. And it's a choose-your-own-adventure book, you know, of that style. And if you really have gone through it, like literally mapped every paragraph in that book and created a tree of all the possible choices you could make, uh, you actually get the physicality of all his, his spells. Uh, the spells he needs to take in the test, where to use them, how to use them, and your proper choice of your spells successfully get you to the end of the book where they, it leads up to Fist and Dantuous. Um, so I had already seen all of that, and I was kind of expecting a little bit of a touch-up on that. Uh, so when this book published um, Layson's, um view of the test, it skipped all of that. It went right into um, a part of the test where he's um, learned that there was some magic um, that was basically being um, hidden from him. You know, uh, a person that he trusted very much so had hidden away more powerful magic, and he wanted it. He, he was very, very upset that it wasn't there. And I, I, I love the part that this part of the test was not a part of Terry Phillips' part. This was the emotional center of what's going on with him in, in, in his life and how this test has been tailor-made to affect him. So when we get to the point where he's going in, you know, with these, um, uh, with the, the dark elf who is going to backstab him once he comes out of this basement, um, who's going to hit him with a fireball and he's definitely not skilled enough to fight them off, Fist and Dandalus comes in and, you know, does the, the temptation of like, I will work a way to protect you, you know, stuff like that. But Raceland thought he, he tricked them out of it. And it, it explains a lot of stuff that we'd never seen before. Like, why does he have cold skin? What is, what is really behind it? Who actually gave it to him? Yeah, Legends never really explained it. You know, uh, Parcelian never really, you know, said, you know, exactly what happened in the beginning of, um, uh, of, um, uh, of uh, the Twins, uh, the Legends trilogy. And I thought it was very, very interesting that Raceland's skin is like armor. I'm going, like, oh, okay, that 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 beautifully added to the whole fact that you know his armor yeah, that protects him from you know that kind of magical damage in his test also makes him look unnatural. He's got gold skin that you know he he watches people later on be freaked out by his skin color just just to see how it affects them. You know, and I thought this was like a great symbol of like his price for magic. His quest for magic manifests into what this new Raceland is going to look like. And I thought that was 
that that made it up for me in, in terms of like missing out on the on the technicalities of the test. I figured, all right, I, I can still splice it together. Like I can add Terry Phillips like mechanical portion of the test that you know Raceman would not want to get into the nitty gritties of. And I thought this part of the test goes really, really deeper into how Raceland ticks. Yeah, I didn't even realize until this book came out and you can see the acknowledgement to um, the other Soulforge book. Um, I didn't even know such a book existed. So for me, you know, this was my first, first take on it and I still don't have a copy of of the other Soulforge. I need to acquire that. So I can I do. <laughs> <clears throat> I have a few of them, but not that one. I think that's the only one I don't have. Uh. So what do you all think about um, Raceland taking the red robes? And uh, if memory serves, there was a bit of a discussion about was that the right choice? I think... Um, it served the story because as a young man, um, you know, if, if he would have been awarded the black robes, for example, um, you know, to kind of go into where he was headed, um, he's not good. They're the, the companions are not going to be nearly as successful in a lot of things because nobody, you know, it's hard enough to trust any wizard, um, but a black robe, nobody's going to want to help them. Um, you know, the barbarians probably aren't, you know, the, the Quishu, uh, Goldmoon, Riverwind, probably not going to want to trust him. Um, but, you know, it could also come in handy in Zexeroth. So, uh, it might have had its, its uses, but I think... Starting the book with an evil character in the heroic party um, was probably, you know, probably a good idea to not do that. Do you consider Raceland to be a hero? Yes. Um, a misguided hero. He's obviously not... Hmm. You know, Awful good. I guess that goes into the definition of what is your what is a hero. I mean, I, I do feel that he's more of um um oh what's the word for it? Uh, God, brain fart. Um, it, where you think most heroes are like you know superheroes? They're always doing good. They're always doing you know things to improve you know at those around them. You know, Superman or or even Batman. Um. Raceland, I think, as a hero in the Greek sense, is that he is a person that we all are. And therefore, as a hero, it goes into a story about his missteps, who he is, and why things will eventually fail, or where things will succeed and where things will fail in Raceland's future. So in that sense, yeah, I do feel that he is a hero. Um, he is a lesson that we should be looking at and how we deal with our lives because he's there are essences of wrestling within us all, I think was what um, Margaret Rice said a long time ago. Yeah, I, I remember hearing that. Um, you know, I think I would equate him to being kind of an anti hero. Um, 
You don't, you don't like the Punisher in Marvel Comics. Yeah, he's a hero, sort of. Uh, right. But he does some dark things to achieve his goals. Um, and in and that, in he that vein, he's like Raceland. Yeah, he, you know, it, at the end of the Legends trilogy, he sacrifices himself to save the world. And that's what heroes do. Yeah, even even though he uh, kind of brought that on himself, but you know, <laughs> details, details. Yeah, I um, could have stepped through the portal and uh, invited Takisus in for dinner, but he didn't. Well, you know, you had, feeding one dragon's bad enough, but a five-headed dragon—I mean, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> do you feed that. That's probably what he was thinking. He's like, I don't have. I don't know how to handle this properly. I uh, I should probably close the gate to save myself from that embarrassment. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I hear all she's eating these days is kale. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so all in all, I over... Uh, I basically enjoyed this book. It was... I didn't think I would in the beginning because, uh, again, uh, as I described in the beginning, there was a flow of people who just said, oh, the infellows, the companions, we have to read another one. You know, I, I think there was, oh, I don't know if this was around the time of um, a, a fan basically put out what he thought was like exploitation of the companions. And the fun part of that discussion was that he just basically created a book called, you know, instead of Tannis the Shadow Years, he said Tannis the Embryo Years. And, and yeah, just to make fun of the fact that there was so much stuff about the, you know, about the companions. Right. And sadly enough, it actually became a book. There's, there was a book called Inheritance, which was literally Tannis the Embryo Years. And, you know, a lot of people were just a little bit wary of, like, what this one would be. But overall, I thought it really, really did well of going over what stories with legends would already uh, have been told about. I mean, so you almost had an entire picture of what Rayson's life was like, you know, through those separate stories. But I don't think it would have been complete without Soulforge. Uh, without this, you got the more in-depth nuance of, you know, his loves, his hatreds, things that were going on in his mind. So in the part where we go to the coda, where this is the truth, um, I always think of it as this is the truth according to Raceland. And he left some parts in the story that he didn't think mattered, uh, but he left things in here in this coda I basically touched upon his compassion, you know, little parts of him that we really wanted that got fleshed out. So I, I got to admit, I was happy with this book when I finished it. Go cool. All right. One last question. Does Raceland come across as a Mary Sue or a Marty stew um, in, in this book? Don't feel that. Um, there's there's plenty of times where he gets knocked down. Um, plenty of times where he doesn't win, uh, such as the the part where you know there was 
the girl that, that seemed interested in him. And Raceland was on the verge of, you know, pursuing that um, as much as he could. And then he finds her literally rolling in the hay with Caramon. Um, you know, he, he doesn't win everything, uh, not by a long shot. Um, and that's, you know, pretty much the definition of, of Mary Sue is something, you know, a character that knows everything, that wins everything, that never loses. Um, I, I feel like he has a lot of answers. He, he does have a lot of power, um, but he's definitely not unstoppable at this point. Um, and his, his health is weak, he's frail, uh, and, and he doesn't achieve everything that he sets out to. Oh man, you have to remind me of that scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, originally thought, yeah, I would imagine a Mary Sue would not get turned down. Uh, uh, you know, um, a Mary Sue would basically be a different character that latches on to, I think, Kirk and Spock. I think that's the origin of the Mary Sue. You know, and and obviously Kirk and Spock absolutely love this woman. She's the greatest thing ever, and she saves the ship and all that stuff. That's the origin of the Mary Sue, the character who can do no wrong that got inserted into something else. Yeah, and so I don't think Raceland is like that. Um, yeah, as John pointed out, you know, we have the story of how there is this girl that seemed to like him, and for this brief moment, he's just. You know, I hate to say it, this, uh, deliriously in love for that split second. Like, you know, oh, happy day. And then, you know, <laughs> there's a scene of Rayson rolling around in the hay with a girl. You know, I got to admit, in Legends, it's, uh, was it Legends? Oh. But the story told in, a, you know, in another book basically was a lot more graphic i mean i always got the impression she and him got together had sex found out it wasn't very good i mean he was inexperienced or whatever and then she went back to, to the caravan so i thought it was a much more you know biting event that happened in his life that really would have you know toned the jealousy that he would have for caravan so here i thought it was a little bit you know, PG in terms of what happened. Um, and, you know, but still, it's there. I mean, you have a, a good-looking brother, and there's this girl that you thought liked you, and now she's rolling in the hay with the guy, and you just keep going, ugh, damn it. You know, I, I can see how that in some way uh, worked toward the story when um, the illusion of Karaman was casting all these spells and basically pronouncing that he had this magic, but he didn't want to use it because he didn't want to, you know, embarrass his brother who was struggling all this time to learn magic. Um, yeah, I, I thought um, I, I, could, I could never see Raceland as a Mary Sue in this story. I mean, he's young and fallible. Cool, cool. All right, folks. Well, um, I think that's all that we uh, have for this topic for this evening. Uh, John and Weldon, I'd like to thank you guys for uh, joining us here. Um, on behalf of the Dragonlance Nexus, I'm Trampus Whiteman. Uh, this is Weldon Chen. 
This is John Ryan, and as an update, I found out I do have the Terry Phillips Soul Forge, so I'm going to be reading this this week. Yes. Fantastic. So, John, if you want a map <laughs> of all, all the paragraphs and numbers and stuff like that so you can see the entire tree, there's a map of it. I can send it to you if you want. Yes, please do. Please do. <laughs> and with that, folks, we're going to call it a night. Thank you. And good night. Keep those lances sharp. <laughs> Long live the lance. <laughs> <laughs>